just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Look, podcast family, sometimes things come out in print that just literally stop you in your tracks, make you scratch your head, and just go, what is going on? I've said that before in other episodes about weird topics, but one happened yesterday leading into today. Now, just to give you some point of reference, I'm taping this on April the 20th, 2022, which is the same date that ACOG issued a statement response to an FDA warning regarding non-invasive prenatal tests, right? NIPS tests. Well, what we're talking about is cell-free DNA. But I'm literally walking down the hallway and I see the FDA alerts. I'm like, oh, what's, what's going on? So of course I read it and it makes me stop in my tracks, scratch my head and say, what's going on here? I mean, I thought we had already tackled this issue years ago, but apparently not. So let's get into this issue of what the FDA warning is about for non-invasive prenatal screening tests and what ACOG said about it just today, again, April 20th, 2022. On April the 19th, 2022, the FDA issued a news release titled FDA warns of risks associated with non-invasive prenatal screening tests, end quote. And you thought, well, what is that about? No, it's not a recall. It's simply the issue that I think providers are using it in its non-intended state. In other words, remember that NIPS tests, non-invasive prenatal screening tests, are screening tests. They're not diagnostic. But somehow patients are walking away with the idea that if their NIPS test is abnormal, that that's de facto proof that their child is affected with some genetic condition. And that's just not true. That FDA warning states, while these non-invasive prenatal tests are widely used today, these tests have not been reviewed by the FDA and may be making claims about their performance and use that are not based on sound science. Now, that's harsh, and that's not my words. That's straight out of the FDA warning. It continues to say, Without proper understanding of how these tests should be used, people are making inappropriate healthcare decisions regarding their pregnancy. So it's strongly being urged that patients discuss the benefits and risks of these tests with a genetic counselor or other healthcare provider prior to making decisions based on the results of these tests alone. In other words, as we've stated, it looks like these are being either proposed by the healthcare providers or being interpreted by the patients. But still, there's this lack of communication then on both parts that these tests in no way are diagnostic. Yeah, now they're very good, but they are not diagnostic. They're screening tests. And nobody should make a definitive plan on a pregnancy continuation or discontinuation based on these tests alone. It goes on to say that the FDA is aware of reports that patients and healthcare providers have made critical healthcare decisions based on results of these screening tests without, quote, additional confirmatory testing, end quote. So pregnant women have ended pregnancies based on these results of these screening genetic prenatal tests alone without understanding the limitations of the screening tests and that the baby actually may not have any genetic abnormality at all. Or, just the opposite, if it actually is a negative NIPS test, it doesn't mean that the baby obviously doesn't have any other genetic abnormality that's not tested for. 
Now, I stated during the intro that it kind of made me stop in my tracks and scratch my head because I thought we've already been down this road. I mean, ACOG is very clear in their original bulletin that discusses screening for genetic abnormalities. And the response is pretty much that same stance as well. The response that came out today on April the 20th, again, 2022, states, quote, The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists acknowledges the content of the warning issued by the U.S. FDA that alerts patients about the risks of inappropriate use and inappropriate interpretation of results from cell-free DNA tests or whatever other non-invasive prenatal test option that's being used. ACOG continues in its response, stating that ACOG's clinical guidance on non-invasive prenatal tests explains the need for nuanced, patient-centered counseling from genetic counselors or obstetric care professionals when making a decision to screen for any fetal chromosomal abnormality. Cell-free DNA is the most sensitive and specific screening test for common fetal aneuploidies, but it's just that, a screening test. It states, quote, it is not equivalent to diagnostic testing and it has the potential for false positive and false negative results, end quote. It goes on to say that the risk of fetal chromosomal abnormalities should be discussed along with the relative benefits and limitations of the available screening and diagnostic tests. When a screen-positive test result is obtained, patients should be counseled regarding their revised risk of carrying a fetus with a chromosomal abnormality. Information regarding the characteristics of the condition should be reviewed to aid decision-making. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit more in just a minute. But patients with a positive screening test result for fetal aneuploidy should then undergo genetic counseling and a comprehensive ultrasound evaluation with an opportunity for diagnostic testing to confirm results. Remember, there's only two ways to get a diagnostic test. It's either a CVS or a chorionic villi sample early on in the pregnancy or a genetic amniocentesis. Now that we've covered the ACOG response and the original FDA warning, I want to go back to ACOG's practice bulletin, which was number 226, that talks about screening for fetal chromosomal abnormalities. Remember, the key word there is screening. Now, before we jump in and discuss that practice bulletin, a quick reminder of what ACOG and SMFM both say about screening and or diagnostic testing for all pregnancies, regardless of maternal age. Both professional societies agree that screening, which is serum screening with or without nuchal translucency ultrasound or cell-free DNA screening, and diagnostic testing, which is either CVS or amnio, for chromosomal abnormalities should be discussed and offered to all patients early in pregnancy, regardless of maternal age or baseline risk. Now, when I trained, chorionic villi sampling or amnio was reserved for those at higher risk of a genetic issue, which was defined as those that were advanced maternal age, age 35 or more. But that's no longer the case. Remember, the wording is offered to all patients early in pregnancy, regardless of maternal age or baseline risk. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
This practice bulletin was released in 2020, and it's very clear in that bulletin what cell-free DNA is and is not. Cell-free DNA is a screening test for aneuploidies that uses cell-free DNA fragments in the maternal circulation that can be detected as early as 9 to 10 weeks, and unlike other serum analyte screening tests, that can be sent all the way until term. The fetal component of cell-free DNA is derived from placental trophoblasts that are released into the maternal circulation from cells undergoing programmed cell death. Now, the fetal component is known as the fetal fraction, and it's about 3 to 13% of the total cell-free DNA in maternal blood. And it's right there in the bulletin. Cell-free DNA is the most sensitive and specific screening test for the common fetal aneuploidies, but not all of them. And it has the potential still for false positive and false negative results. It states, furthermore, cell-free DNA testing is not equivalent to diagnostic testing. Well, that's exactly what the response from the college was today. Remember that this is part of formal informed consent training. We can't tell patients that if they get cell-free DNA testing and everything comes out normal, that automatically, miraculously, the baby's free of any kind of genetic condition. First of all, cell-free DNA only checks for four issues. It checks for trisomy 18, trisomy 13, trisomy 21, and sex chromosome abnormalities. Now, I know what you're thinking, or at least you should be thinking, "Uh uh-uh, wait a minute, Chapa. What about cell-free DNA for single gene disorders? I mean, that's the thing. I can check that off on the little request on the little lab requisition. It checks for single gene disorders. What about that? Well, the practice advisory from the college from 2019 also has a response for that. Now, remember, this technology is changing very quickly, but we're not still at a place where it's standard of care. The college goes on to say that even though it can be offered and it seems reasonable, especially in the presence of advanced paternal age, where these single gene disorders tend to be more frequent, there, quote, has not been sufficient data to provide information regarding accuracy and positive and negative predictive value in the general population, end quote. So the college states, for this reason, quote, single gene cell-free DNA screening is not currently recommended in pregnancy, end quote. Oh, don't send me any ugly messages. I know that data moves quickly. That's my whole tagline for this podcast, for heaven's sakes. And it may be a time when we are there and it becomes routine, but not yet. Now that we've covered that, let's get back to that practice bulletin and see how cell-free DNA can be integrated into prenatal genetic screening. The college states that the use of cell-free DNA screening as a follow-up for patients with a screen-positive serum analyte screen test is an option for patients who want to avoid a diagnostic test. So, in other words, if somebody gets a quad test or if they're doing a PENTA screen, if that's part of some research protocol because right now PENTA is not uniformly done, and it comes out positive for some genetic condition, because of the sensitivity and specificity of cell-free DNA, that is is an alternative, although the gold standard after that positive serum analyte screen is to go for a diagnostic test. But the college says you can get cell-free DNA better than nothing to help shed more information and give more data on the clinical condition. But it goes on to say that patients should be informed that this approach of using cell-free DNA as a double check may delay definitive diagnosis and can fail to identify some babies with chromosomal abnormalities. 
given that the residual risk of a chromosomal abnormality after an abnormal traditional screening test followed by a normal cell-free DNA screen test result has been reported to be about 2%. So patients should be informed of this residual risk of a chromosomal abnormality that may not be detectable by cell-free DNA used as a follow-up test. If diagnostic testing after a positive screen is declined, then management of the pregnancy should be based on the sonographic features identified and the patient's preferences. Now remember though that an ultrasound is not an equivalent or an equal alternative to a diagnostic test. However, having a completely normal fetal cardiac ultrasound and a normal level 2 fetal survey does decrease the risk of a genetic or a chromosomal issue, but it does not eliminate that as a possibility after a positive screening test. The college states that second trimester ultrasound should be offered to all patients independent of screening or diagnostic testing. Remember, this is looking for structural abnormalities between 18 and 22 weeks. Fetuses with trisomy 18 and trisomy 13 are likely to have major structural abnormalities. That's true. But in contrast, only about 27% of fetuses with trisomy 21 have a recognizable major structural abnormality. So if you don't see something, it definitely does not rule out the possibility of trisomy 21. And this issue of soft sonographic markers is also controversial. Soft sonographic markers may also be identified, and these markers have different degrees of associations with trisomy 21 and cannot be used in isolation to diagnose or exclude the diagnosis of trisomy 21. In clinical situations of an isolated soft ultrasonographic marker, like an echogenic cardiac focus, an isolated choroid plexus cyst, pileectasis or a short humerus or short femoral length, where aneuploidy screening has not yet been performed, then the patient should be counseled regarding the risk of aneuploidy associated with these soft findings, and cell-free DNA or a quad serum analyte screen or even an amnio should be offered. And if a serum screening test is done after that soft ultrasound marker returns low risk, then no further risk assessment is necessary. But if there's multiple soft markers, remember that multiple soft markers is not the same thing as an isolated soft marker, which means just one. A combination of abnormal findings really does raise the risk of an abnormality, and that really should go for true diagnostic testing. One last clinical scenario to address here. What about the no-call or the uninterpretable cell-free DNA result? Well, the bulletin addresses that as well. Patients whose cell-free DNA screening test results are not reported by the lab or they're uninterpretable, in other words, a no-call test result, these patients should be informed that this test failure is associated with an increased risk of aneuploidy. They should all receive further genetic counseling and be offered comprehensive ultrasound and diagnostic testing. As a clinical pearl, remember that although trisomy 21 pregnancies don't appear to have a higher no-call rate, pregnancies affected with trisomies 13 and 18 have lower fetal fractions and do have a higher rate of test failures. Sex chromosome aneuploidies also have higher no-call rates than trisomies. Now, what about just repeating the test after a no-call result? Well, the college has an answer for that as well. Although repeat screening may be considered in the setting of a sample drawn at a very early gestational age or at a specific concern regarding the sample integrity, 
Well, because repeat sampling can delay a diagnostic test, then it's not advised if screening results are also consistent with sonographic abnormalities or if a patient is at a gestational age at which the delay may compromise their reproductive options. The success of repeat screening after a test failure in the general screening population is around 75 to 80 percent, although it can be substantially lower in patients with a high BMI. So once again, in general, the blanket statement is offer those patients a diagnostic test because there is a higher risk of trisomy 13, 18, and sex chromosome issues. But if they just want to retry it with informed consent, then it's something that can be done, especially if the ultrasound finds no gross abnormalities. But remember, nothing is perfect. These are screening tests, which is a whole issue of the FDA. And really, after one kind of failure, why not just go to a true diagnostic test? All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. Man, we've covered a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. We've covered the FDA warning on cell-free DNA use by patients or being marketed by healthcare providers as diagnostic testing, which they are not. We've also covered the ACOG response that was released today on April the 20th, 2022. And we even briefly reviewed and highlighted some key points from the practice bulletin from the college back in 2020, which was practice bulletin number 226. Well, hold on. Did I say that right? Is it two? Yes, it's 226. Look, you gotta love it when your screen goes away, right? It's number 226. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Mm-hmm.